Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcasts. Well, your regular host, Alex Kalinorkis, is busy preparing today for this weekend's Grand Prix back at Silverstone for the second time in as many weeks. So it's your trusty podcast producer, Martin, here off the bench for one episode and a very special episode looking deep into the various aspects of how your favourite racing series are electrifying. Today we're joined by Michael Pinsett and Martin Monshine from the engineering specialist AVL. They work with major teams and drivers across motorsport. And today we are going to get an update and dive deep into how various racing series are turning towards electric power. Hope you enjoy the show. Alex and the F1 team are back on the podcast from tomorrow with your weekend preview. But for now, enjoy this very special episode. Michael and Martin, welcome to the Autosport Podcast. Thank you very much, Martin. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and your colleagues. Also from my side, happy to be back. Well, since we last heard from AVL about how various racing series are electrifying, what's changed recently and what's the latest news? Um, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, there's quite a lot going on currently. Um, you know, there was already, you know, when we spoke last time, uh, a lot on the horizon, but maybe just to summarize it against, uh, uh, compared to, you know, the obvious ones like, you know, the hybrid powertrains in Formula One and the uh, Fully electric Formula E series. Uh, obviously, there's a there's a you know there's discussions in Europe uh, and, and also plans you know to electrify, for example, the BTCC. There's discussions you know especially after some of the major important OEMs stepped out of DTM to maybe you know add an electric uh, component there as well, maybe even full electric. Um, and obviously, then now the Extreme E series uh, before its launch. So a lot of exciting things going on here in Europe. Uh, but also, which for me especially was uh, so was even more 
uh, eye-opening was, you know, that there has been really, really a lot of discussions in, in our colleagues in the United States, you know, um, obviously IMSA uh, with their LMD8, uh, LMDH series, which now, you know, has a common groundwork with the, with the ACO and uh, FIA to have a joint series that can run in Daytona as well as in Le Mans. Um, Really, really exciting, and I think very interesting for a lot of uh, manufacturers uh, to, to to use this this, this really big platform. Um, you know, the the guys from IndyCar have been discussing for their next generation powertrain uh, a hybrid system, which uh, will be added um, that could boost up their performance again. You know, and as a combined powertrain up to 900 horsepower, and even NASCAR with uh, their Cup program, you know, they're looking for uh, an uh, hybrid component as well uh, specifically you know for the, 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 the shorter ovals um, so yeah a lot of things going on obviously you know in terms of timing and, and introduction of these these regulation changes the, the current still ongoing COVID situation you know had their impact there as well so we will see the one or other delay maybe by a year but overall, I think it can be said, you know, electrification uh, is definitely here to stay. It's important for every racing series to be stable financially. I mean, that arms race in Formula One was getting a little bit out of control with the power units relatively frozen now in terms of what the engine manufacturers can develop. Can we still see innovation in Formula One in terms of electrification? The powertrain regulations for the, the current uh, uh, Formula One series, you know, they have been pretty stable for a while and, and will be for the foreseeable future. So again, we don't expect any revolutions uh, on, on the innovation forefront, but definitely rather you know incremental optimization um, on you know component level as well as system level. Um, as 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 with all the other areas, you know, there's the 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 windows are getting tighter, but nevertheless, there is this uh, almost relentless push for for the, the ever smaller increments, which you know, if they, if you add them up, still make could can make a difference. Um, so there will be definitely a lot of still, you know, on the, on the software side, you know, on how how are these uh, uh, the, the the controllers for for the electric components, how is the strategy? So a lot of tuning on the software side as well. Um, and uh, very uh, surprisingly, you know, we've seen in the, even this year so far and in the last year, very, very few uh, component failures, on-track component failures related to the, to the hybrid powertrain. So it, you can see that the maturity level there is already really, really high. But then again, uh, still, you know, the, 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 the goal is to, to, to look to more performance, to increase efficiency while still maintaining durability. And, uh, you know, going forward, obviously, you know, the FIA introduced, uh, you know, dyno runtime uh, uh, limitations, you know, mainly for, for the powertrain or fired engines, but also for, for electric components. So obviously teams need also need to get more efficient, not just from, from, from the, the hardware level, but also from the methodology and, and testing approach. So, yeah, there, there will be definitely innovations, while they might still not be you know, that big, but uh, in a lot of different areas, there's still room for, for, for gains. Let's talk about a different series. Let's talk about NASCAR, for example. They often run on ovals, on super speedways. Now, we often think about regen, those big braking moments as being a time when you can then recharge the batteries. But if you're only ever going around in circles, and this may be an overly simplistic question, are there opportunities to regen from running NASCAR on ovals? And they are going to have a hybrid NASCAR very soon. 
how is that going to work? Could you even use the petrol engine to recharge the batteries and then use that battery power as almost an overtake or a boost button? What you just said, Martin, is obviously possible. So you can charge a battery through the combustion engine. There's two things to that. First of all, it's uh, very inefficient. Um, and number two, when you're doing that while the engine is, uh, or while the driver is doing a flat out lap, is at a wide open throttle, you're basically taking away power from driving the car forward and rather uh, charging the battery. So the driver will feel like he's losing power. Obviously, you could say that this is a strategic element that you add to the races uh, where, uh, for example, drivers could uh, recharge their batteries at certain various stages of the race just to be prepared uh, for an attack with a boost button or an overtake button, as you just mentioned it. So there's, of course, a lot of different possibilities there. Uh, but nevertheless, if you're trying to recharge a battery with a combustion engine, it's always very inefficient. So that's why you would always target to recuperate the energy uh, during the braking. Uh, NASCAR is running on a couple of road courses. It's run on, running on the Roval in, in Charlotte. Uh, there is probably enough braking to uh, recuperate properly and recharge uh, the battery. On ovals, uh, it's a little bit different. If you look at, let's say, the, the medium and small ovals, such as Martinsville or, or Bristol, there's certainly a lot of braking required, and the region is, uh, I would say, significant, uh, and you can recharge the battery through that. If you're looking at the super speedways or the two-mile ovals, uh, Daytona, Talladega, Michigan, there it's almost impossible to regenerate because there the drivers are either flat out or they're just lifting for a very small fraction of the overall lap time. So there um, you would have to find a different way of, of recharging the battery. In the end, as you said, NASCAR has not fully decided on when it's going to happen and they also haven't decided on what they want to do with the electrification. Um, what is the target? Do you want to run electric just in the pit lane? Do you want to run electric under full course yellow? Do you want to improve your lap time? Do you just want to spice up the racing? Um, so all those boundary conditions, they in a way dictate how your system is going to look like. And I think uh, uh, as of now, this has not been fully decided by NASCAR yet. So we're waiting for the news there. And then uh, we will see with which uh, solutions uh, the OEMs will come up. Well, NASCAR is certainly a series that the manufacturers that take part look to use as a marketing tool to help sell more road cars. How do you think the technology that we go racing with on a Sunday afternoon can help sell more cars on a Monday morning? In my opinion, there is two major elements to that. The first one is that obviously motorsport has always been and still is a testing and the development platform for new technologies, for new materials, for new procedures, and of course for new system designs. So the boundary conditions in motorsports, as we know, are usually quite extreme when you're looking at accelerations, at speeds, at temperatures, etc. The safety requirements are also extreme. So if, for example, a race car shunts on the track, you have to make sure that uh, nothing goes wrong with the electric system, with the battery, with the electric motor, uh, just to provide safety for the driver, um, for the marshals and for all the spectators. So there is a lot of boundary conditions that uh, make it very hard to produce good components. Um, that's, I think, one of the reasons why typically motorsport parts are usually very expensive. But I would view them as, let's say, a proof of concept for, for mass production, really. So that's the one, one aspect that I was talking about. The second one would be that I see motorsport really also as a training ground for engineers. Um, engineers are always uh, striving to find, develop and test new solutions. 
And uh, typically in motorsports, people are very target oriented and they have a creative mindset. So lots of those people, they are thinking out of the box to uh, solve problems. And I think that mindset, that way of thinking can also be transferred to any potential issue, any potential um, thing you want to look at, at personal mobility as well. So I think it's really the, the way of thinking, the innovative thinking uh, that finds its way from motorsports applications to personal mobility as well. Okay, let's talk about Formula E then. Some pure electric racing. Now, we are not far away from the resumption of Formula E, the six races in Berlin, a temple half. Of course, they can have unlimited, if they wanted to, circuit layouts, but we are going to get three different circuit layouts over each doubleheader series of events. So over the last days and weeks, what will the teams have been doing with those layouts that they haven't raced before, never seen them in real life? How will they have been simulating them? And what will they have spent their time doing before they actually turn up in Berlin? I think uh, at first the, the teams will be, of course, um, striving to get their cars ready because the cars haven't been moved a lot in the last couple of months. So you have to make sure that everything is up and running. Um, so that's probably a big focus for, for those people. Um, and when it comes to preparing for the new tracks, I would say it's no different from going to a new venue at all. So what the teams usually do is they receive an information about the track layout uh, up front and they are going to use that track layout for different levels and different uh, types of simulation. What you usually do very early in the stages, you use a vehicle dynamic simulation to find the optimum region and coasting pattern around the racetrack. Uh, for example, in, in our case, in our company, we have something that is called an energy solver where you can put in all your various inputs um, and you get uh, the different outputs uh, with regards to energy consumption, with regards to lap time, with regards to region power, you name it, everything that is important for the electric part of the powertrain. So that's the first thing that you do. You optimize that with a vehicle dynamic simulation. Um, in the next stage, you probably would have to verify that with a real driver. In vehicle dynamic simulation, um, we are using a driver model. And the good thing about the driver model is it never complains. Uh, it drives whatever you throw at it, uh, while real, dri real drivers have preferences. Uh, some drivers like uh, specific things more than, than other drivers do. Some people are more sensitive to specific aspects of uh, the driving. Um, so you need to double check what you found out with your computer simulation with the real driver. And that's what you usually do on the driving simulator, where you can either just run the vehicle model and uh, um, the model of the powertrain uh, as a computer model, or you could actually use the ECU as a real hardware in the loop together with the driving simulator, so you can really fine-tune all your preparations for the upcoming race. And thinking about those Formula E races that we're about to get in Berlin, how detailed, how granular can those simulations that the teams do get? Like, I understand they can input the predicted weather, they can probably put some stuff in about the surface of the track, which they know, but what other variables can they put in there to try and make sure that the simulations they're doing are as robust as possible? You can go down to as much detail as you essentially like and as much uh, time you have available, actually. Um, obviously, you can imagine if you make uh, the, the increments on the inputs smaller, the number of laps that you're going to simulate increases rather quickly. Um, and therefore, in the last few years, uh, cloud technology, cloud computing has been a very big help here. Uh, nowadays, uh, we're able to simulate 100 or 150,000 laps within actually a couple of hours. 
Um, and that helps the engineers to prepare for all the different scenarios that might come at them. I think the worst thing that happens to race teams is if a scenario happens at the track that they did not anticipate, they are not prepared for. Um, and therefore, obviously, up front, you try to prepare as much as you can with all the different scenarios, with the expectations, to make sure you have a solution or at least a direction to go uh, when that occurs. Well, what's bad for the teams can sometimes be good for the fans as well. We like a bit of unpredictability, a bit of chaos at times as well, like last weekend's uh, Formula One race uh, with the tyres adding some late drama to the silver, the first Silverstone race. Now, look, with six races in Berlin for Formula E, uh, by the end of it, are they all going to be going as quick as they possibly can? Will the engineers and will the drivers still be able to learn something from every session? Yes, absolutely. There is no doubt about that. First of all, in Berlin, it's going to be altogether six races, but they will be run on uh, three different track layouts. So you will only have two races at the very same track layout. And there is always something to be optimized, um, mainly on the software side, I would say. Um, but also, you could expect that maybe the ambient conditions are a little bit different. For example, from one day to the other, the air temperature changes by, let's say, five, six, seven degrees. That already makes a difference. The track grip will be different because uh, the whole field has run the whole race on, on the circuit before, so there might be more rub on the track. And all that basically influences how your car behaves and how you have to extract the optimum from it. And therefore, you have to be on your toes and uh, just change things from actually one day to the other uh, to make sure you are leaving nothing on the table. Let's talk a little bit about pit stops in Formula E. Of course, we don't have to change cars anymore halfway through the race. But with the Gen 3 cars, with advancements in cell technology and better batteries, better thermal management as well, of course, getting lots of energy into a cell generates heat. Lots of advances being made in that area. Do you think there'll ever be a time when you could realistically have a mid-race pit stop? As in, could you charge a car, maybe not as quick as you can put fuel inside a car, but could that ever? Could we ever see pit stops returning to Formula E if the technology improves enough? Well, of course you can do an electric pit stop. I think there is two questions to, to be answered. The first question is how much energy do you want or can you recharge during your pit stop? Um, and that leads to the second question, what is the charging power that your battery cells can cope with? Because really that's the limiting factor at the moment. If you're recharging with a very high power, let's say, you mentioned the Porsche Taycan, he's recharging with 270 kilowatts right now, so that's a mass production technology. And uh, I have heard that uh, for the Gen 3 car, they want to recharge with 600 kilowatts, which is a lot of power. Um, and it means if you introduce that much energy in such a short time frame to the battery cells, it's a real challenge for the temperatures for the battery cells. So that's going to be the, the limiting factor. And if you just make a very small calculation, you're charging with, uh, say, 600 kilowatts and you're stopping for 10 seconds, you're recharging for 10 seconds, that gives you 1.7 kilowatt hours in your battery. If you stop for 30 seconds, that will give you 5 kilowatt hours. And if you know that uh, the Gen 3 battery is going to be, I think, 51 kilowatt hours, you can see that it will be only possible to recharge a fraction of the whole battery capacity during the race. But then, um, as I said before with, with NASCAR, I think this adds a strategic element to the race. You could choose, for example, to go flat out early on in the race to escape the, the battling and, and have a clear track ahead of you. But then you might have to uh, charge for another 10 or 15 seconds uh, to make up for the energy that you have consumed before. Or you could opt to keep a low profile, 
not attack too much, save some energy and then have a shorter pit stop or maybe save the pit stop at all. So there's lots of options on the table and I think uh, it will be very exciting to watch. All right, so let's talk tyres then with Formula E. Moving from Michelin to Hankook, they haven't raced those tyres yet for next season, obviously, but they'll want to simulate the effect of the tyres. As, as AVL, as experts in simulation and working with the teams as well, how do you simulate a tyre which doesn't even exist yet and won't until they go racing next season? Obviously, our simulation tool um, has tyre models inside, so we are supporting different models of tyres, what they have in common is that typically a tire manufacturer will take uh, the product, go to a tire test rig and test it. So that means they will measure all kinds of forces and moments under the different conditions on the tire. And all those measurements will be um, used in a mathematical process to extract uh, tire parameters. And those tire parameters are used in our simulation to describe the behavior of the tire. Um, and by this means, we can virtually test any tire, even though maybe it hasn't even been produced. Uh, if a tire manufacturer says, this is my target for my tire, this is what it's going to look like, uh, what's the influence on lap time? What's the influence on handling of the cars? What's the influence on temperature behavior? Then we're able to simulate that even before a product really exists. Just on that topic of tires being produced, obviously a tire in theory has an ideal set of numbers or the numbers they supply you are fine it's one thing but then a product actually gets made in real life how close can they get to those theoretical numbers is there some tolerances how far out are they and how close can they get to or how close can that simulation be i think the experience is that if you get tire data off of a test rig um, they are more or less in the ballpark but they require a little bit of tuning afterwards, and that requires the real driver. Um, as I mentioned before, when we are using simulation, our simulation driver never complains about anything, which is a good thing. Uh, but then the real driver might be sensitive to specific uh, behavior, specific characteristics of, of the tires, and then you have to tune that to make the driver feel as if he was driving in the real car. So that takes a bit of experience, but uh, we've been doing this for almost 20 years now, and we have a fairly good um, process how we can do that and make the driver happy with the tires on the driving simulator. I would like to talk more about simulation, actually, and what different race teams are looking to simulate and how many different scenarios they might typically go through before a race. Um, well, a lot of that it obviously depends on, on the individual race series, what the regulations are. So what boundaries do the teams have uh, in where they can, uh, where they can optimize or, or even uh, innovate or develop? Um, obviously, you know, the, the first and foremost is before you even go into race scenarios is to make sure that, you know, essentially it's, it's independent from the component, but to make sure that it's, you know, you, you extract the, the maximum performance uh, while still maintaining the, the necessarily durability. And with durability now these days, that doesn't just mean surviving a race, but most of the race series, you know, a powertrain or powertrain components need to live, you know, for multiple races and even up to a full season. So, so, so a lot of that uh, depends on, on, on the regulations. Um, but obviously, if you have room for, for innovation, you typically start already on, on the component level uh, to making sure that, um, you know, because it, it's also a cost fact, you know, before you, you test the full system, you start on the component level, make sure that the individual components are, you know, are optimized and also fit for purpose. 
Um, and the different scenarios obviously are, you know, whatever occurs on the racetrack, you know, you know that you need to push harder for qualifying laps. You know, you have to maintain a certain mileage for, you know, the free practices for the race. Um, this is in terms of duty cycles. But then also you typically always want to go a step further to make sure that, you know, if there is a, an extension or that the race takes longer than expected to account for that as well. Um, but once you have you're done, you know, your work on the component level, you then move on to the system. That means integrating all the, the individual components to the full system and make sure that all these components not just only work uh, individually uh, in, their, in their dedicated test environments, but also as a system. And here, a strong focus, obviously, is also to make sure that the control and software functionality that now is a, is a very, you know, nowadays a, a very dominant factor of, of, of each uh, electrified or, or hybridized powertrain works, and then they work more on, on, on drivability and then strategies. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of tools and uh, technologies reg- uh, available. Um, you know, luckily, we, we in our toolbox of portfolio, uh, you know, we, we have uh, solutions and, and, and methodologies as well as tools for starting from simulation to component level. Um, then the testing and validation, uh, and uh, this uh, also gives us a, a good uh, a good uh, baseline to to utilize our own tools in house for certain projects, but obviously also together, you know, with our customers. But uh, essentially, uh, if rules and regulations allows, then there's almost no limitation on what you can do. But mainly, it's typically uh, limited by 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 the governing bodies, also in order to to keep the cost in check and and keep a, a fairly level playing field and make it still interesting for the sport as well as for the spectators. Now, a race team always wants to go right down to the wire for maximum efficiency. You never want to end a race with another 20 laps worth of fuel or you know, brake pads that you could have saved some weight in in the first place and and got a better lap time. So, But with electric technology and with electrification, how are you testing this? And how can you test components right down to the wire, up to the limit, up to breaking point? In the end, it's really a, a fine line between you know, extracting, as you said, uh, the maximum performance while still making sure that uh, the, the parts uh, survive the, the, the requirements of the race or of our entire season. You know, obviously, it's always very tempting to go a little bit closer to the edge than you might should or feel comfortable to, because this could be the, the deciding factor. You know, especially when when when, when performances are very close, uh, and in, in, for example, in Formula E, where it's a, almost a spec race series and where your boundary conditions, where you can have your innovation and optimization, is very small. Obviously, this is where where besides the driver element, obviously, the the, the difference lies, but. In the end, it's still the you know to making sure that the that the, the parts live is, is still the first and foremost goal because you know as this old saying is you know in order to finish first first you have to finish this always will hold true. Um, but um, again, on the testing side, there's a lot of things that can be done. You know, even independent of the of the of the of the regulations, and you can always you know make sure that uh, you know with the technologies these days, you know the the, the ability to simulate or emulate boundary conditions on the testbed, whether those are temperatures, you know, ambient conditions, vibration levels, loads, speeds, is, is, is incredible. And uh, so you always have the ability to, to do, you know, scenarios uh, that are typically slightly higher than what you, what you would expect. And based on all these scenarios, you know, create also settings and, 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 and setups for the track that you can then use as a, as, a, as a virtual toolbox that you know when you unload 
and the temperature condition is this and the track on the, and the grip conditions is, is this, then you have kind of a matrix where you can start with a, of a base setup that you feel comfortable and that you've already tested uh, back in, your, uh, in, 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 the, in the factory uh, and therefore then are also able to maximize the, the, the available time in free practice to really work on the driver specifics and the, the, the fine-tuning rather than to find your, 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 base, your base setup. Um, and then, you know, uh, a lot of parties then also do uh, endurance testing. So you make sure that the required mileage for, you know, the number of races or for a full season is, is, is definitely reached. And obviously, typically also you, you do over test to make sure that, you know, you, you, you put some safety in there, but obviously not too much because, again, as you said, you don't want to leave anything on the table. At the heart of any electrified system are the cells which get made into the batteries and the packs. Now, how can you test? How can you put these under a diff- like different loadings, a different under simulations to test cell technology? As you said, Martin, um, you have to distinguish between cell and the battery pack. Cell development is ongoing. And then if you're looking for performance, obviously, you, you look at the cells first and to try to optimize that. Then you try to make the cells survive for the expected loads. That's what uh, my colleague Martin just said before. Um, you, you try to make sure that with testing, you cover the whole expected life of a component, but you don't want to overdo it. So those um, duty cycles, as we call it, they should be as close to real life as possible, giving you a little bit of margin, but not too much, because then you're over-designing a component potentially, and that means you're losing performance. Um, and then the same obviously happens with uh, with the cell packs um, and, and the whole battery. So once you have done the packaging, you do the same. You try to optimize the performance uh, while making sure that uh, the, the whole battery survives. And depending on the application, there is two things um, that are quite important for that. The first one is obviously the, the sheer durability. Uh, for example, if one to make sure that the component lasts for uh, the prescribed uh, number of races that it needs to um, it needs to drive, uh, and the other thing, especially also in Formula One for the electric components, is the aging. Uh, because if, for example, an electric component, a battery ages, it will lose performance, and uh, that's why you want to make sure that this uh, effect is kept as small as possible. In contrast to F1, aging is not a problem in Formula E. Because there, the efficiency is not an actual efficiency of the component, but it's a mathematical formula in the background that is uh, used as the efficiency. So there's different requirements to that. And then just finally on testing, what about the human factor? Because humans are messy. We make decisions that other people don't understand as drivers under pressure with adrenaline flowing or sometimes... Just the weirdest things happen that you might not have modelled for. So how can you do that testing to make sure that every possible scenario is covered off, including the rather unreliable thing, which is the person driving the car? While there are still already a lot of uh, possibilities out there, you know, uh, uh, unexpected driver moves or or crashes are not part of that. So that's still uh, an, an unknown component and element, which... I think it's also good because it, it adds to the excitement and to the unpredictability of, 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 a, of a race and the outcome. But um, as already a little bit touched on before on the, on the scenarios testing question, um, we have the ability to really uh, replicate and, and simulate and emulate a lot of boundary conditions. I mean, besides obviously the, the, the 
it's not just the, the loads, the speeds and the torques uh, and the duty cycles, which can be done in a very, very real accuracy. I mean, um, we're talking here about also replicating, for example, you know, driveline oscillations or, 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 or engine vibration or power unit vibration levels that you see in the car to make sure um, that, you know, all of these uh, vibrations do not get into any areas where they could uh, be critical. Um, then temperature, uh, ambient conditions, not just temperature, but even humidity um, and, 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 and uh, ambient pressure, especially important for, for, for fired engines or, or internal combustion engines. Um, and again, you know, the spectrum there reaches from doing this already on a component level up to the to the full vehicle um, to make sure that at least everything that can be uh, come up for, as a possible uh, variant, you know, whether or not it's it's, it's cold or super hot conditions. Uh, last weekend's uh, MotoGP race, for example, uh, was a was a great example where they've seen the first time track temperatures where they. they never seen before and obviously we besides the uh, big number of uh, crashes due to uh, I don't know let's call it driver errors there also have been an un unusual higher number of, 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 of engine failures so obviously the ability to even go into these extremes to make sure that if in an even an, an, uh, un, unlikely scenario happens at least you have been there and and and, and have made sure that this, uh, these uh, conditions don't uh, harm the overall uh, durability. Um, it's, it, it's therefore important to, to have the ability on the, on the different uh, testing uh, uh, systems, whether it's component or, 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 or integration or full, or full system or full vehicle test beds to be able to replicate these conditions. Um, and therefore, in these days, the, the possibilities are, are, are really, really good. Um, and then um, you know, even um, as we outlined already in other questions or in, in podcasts before is, you know, then also having the ability to try to bring in the, the real driver to make sure that, you know, to have some of these uh, uncertainties um, that you cannot predict via a driver model uh, validated on the test but before is really what, what, what gives you almost, you know, as of to the, today's possibilities, the, the, the most realistic and the, the best preparation possible. And um, I'm pretty sure we'll see even more of that. Uh, also, smaller gains, you know, and to replicate even more fine to a finer detailed level uh, going forward. So uh, there's still uh, a lot of uh, innovation and improvement going on in the, in the testing capabilities as well. Well, we're looking forward to Formula E being back on the calendar. Berlin, like I say, is uh, not so far away now, just around the corner from that. And we don't know the exact weather forecast, but I, I do know that all the teams and drivers will be complaining about temperatures because thermal management in race cars is so key. It's either always too hot or too cold. You know, with Formula E racing, can ideal temperatures ever be fully solved? I'm kind of doing air quotes now, like solved Actually, I would say it's actually both, because on the, one on the one hand, from an engineering perspective, it's easy to solve. If you're struggling with temperatures, increase the coolant. Very simple. On the other hand, um, you want to push to the limit. As we said before, race teams never ever want to leave anything on the table, so they will always go to the absolute limit with the temperatures. Um, because if you do not, if you have, let's say, too much cooling and you have no thermal issues, uh, you're getting penalties elsewhere. Uh, if you need to run more cooling, uh, you will have a drag penalty, you will have a downforce penalty. It might increase the weight of your car, it might increase the weight distribution, the packaging of your car is different. So there's a lot of things to be considered. 
And therefore, um, I think it's always going to be a challenge uh, because what race teams want to do is optimize the efficiency. That means how do you regenerate without uh, creating too much of a temperature? How do you cool uh, without putting too much energy into the coolant pump? So there's various strategies to achieve that, but the challenge will always remain there because race teams always push to the limit. Now, until we do go back to pit stops, if that ever happens in electrified racing, apart from the regen that we can do, the energy store in the battery is finite. Therefore, efficiency of a racing car is crucial. What can be done to improve the efficiency of our race cars when we electrify them to make sure that that stored energy that we have available is used to best effect? Well, I think uh, you have to look at it from various perspectives. First of all, you obviously need to look at every single component of the car that you are able to touch. The regulations uh, say that specific components of the car are spec parts. Um, so there, what you just can do is you can test batches and try to find the best matches between single components, uh, which give you a bit more margin than other um, parts from the same batch might give you. Um, so we're looking at components that, uh, for example, the brake pads. Uh, brake pads are coming from a single supplier. And uh, as you said before, uh, even within, let's say, if you take 10 brake pads, they will all have a little bit different characteristics. Um, and if you can test them up front, you will pick the ones that uh, fit best to what you want to achieve. Other components you can obviously develop, and there you need to do a lot of testing uh, to improve the efficiency, uh, to extract the maximum of the energy that you're putting into it. Uh, once you are done with all that, then you really need to look at the whole system, because there is no point optimizing every single component if you're not achieving the overall optimum. So in the end, the car needs to drive as efficiently as possible, and therefore, uh, hundreds or thousands of components need to work together and you need to make sure that that works in the best possible way. Um, and a lot of that goes obviously through uh, testing. Um, the most realistic way of testing that is putting the full car on a testbed uh, where you can run it because there you have all the real components, you have all your real sensors, you're getting data very similar to the racetrack. So that's probably the best way of uh, improving the efficiency of your car. We hear a lot in the press about AI, artificial intelligence, and we're hearing more and more about it in motorsport as well now. Some people overestimate it and underestimate it. I mean, the robots are certainly not taking over just yet, but it is incredibly powerful. So how can we use artificial intelligence when we go racing? Absolutely, yes. And uh, there are various uh, possibilities. Generally speaking, I would say AI is an optimization tool for various tasks. It's a very versatile tool capable of uh, adjusting um, and adapting to the current situation because uh, AI has the possibility to learn from the past experience. Um, so it's actually very powerful. Uh, for example, um, we are using AI, um, among other applications, to tune the simulation driver uh, to drive in the very same fashion as the real driver. This is what we spoke about a couple of minutes ago. Uh, we want to make sure that in the simulation, the driver drives as close as possible to the real driver because only then uh, all your calculations for uh, regen, um, for lifting points uh, will be valid. And therefore, we put a lot of emphasis on this correlation and AI uh, has helped us a lot doing that. 
One of the reasons we love having experts from AVL on the Autosport podcast is because you can give us a glimpse into the future. We're not asking you to spill the beans on what's on your top secret roadmap going forward. But with technology, where do you see this going? We hear things about hydrogen and fuel cells. Could we go, you know, would there be a formula fuel cell race, for example, at some point in the future? I would say that's absolutely possible. Um, We see quite a few activities going in that direction. Um, At the moment, from the current perspective, I would say for one race category, for one race series, it is not a problem to provide provide and produce enough hydrogen uh, to run the cars. Um, It might be a little bit different if we're looking at the big scale, if we're looking at hundreds of thousands of cars that are supposed to run on hydrogen, because the production and the transport of hydrogen is still uh, a very big challenge. Uh, For a race category, I think this is entirely possible. You said formula fuel cell. From today's perspective, the fuel cell itself is rather big and heavy, at least compared to electric powertrains or even to uh, combustion powertrains. And also the tank requires a certain space. So the packaging for a formula car might be a little bit difficult, but technology is developing. Uh, Things might look very different in five years from now. Uh, Just look back five years where where the development of uh, batteries and electric powertrains was in uh, 2015 so we have made a big step there and i think the same can happen for for hydrogen as well so yeah it's entirely possible that uh, we will have a formula fuel cell in five seven ten years uh, from now that seems like a good place to leave it martin and michael thank you for coming back on the autosport podcast looking forward to the next one and thanks for your time today thank you martin always a pleasure talking to you yeah thank you also from my side and hopefully to next time Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Podcast Network.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.